Hi, welcome to the Power for Good podcast. I'm your host, Christina Ray Almeida, entrepreneur, environmental advocate, somatic healer, life coach, and really just a grateful part of this beautiful planet. I'm also a former alcoholic and addict, and I'm here to ask some really hard questions while diving deep and discovering how influential people are using their power for good or not. What happens when someone goes through an awakening? Can people really change? How and why? Let's explore. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Power for Good podcast. On today's podcast, my guest is a powerful and talented individual who's also a dear friend of mine, Eduardo Najera otherwise known as Lalo. And well, you're in for a really special episode that is touching, inspirational, and fun. We laughed, we shed tears, we did it all. Most people know Eduardo as an ex-professional basketball player who played for over 10 years in the NBA. But he's honestly done so much over the years. At the time Eduardo joined the NBA, he was only the second Mexican basketball player in the league. He played on several teams, including the Mavericks in Dallas, where he spent a lot of time, which is where I lived and where I met him. After retiring from the NBA, he became the head coach of the NBA D-League's Texas Legends and then went on to be a scout for the Mavs. On today's podcast, we touch on several topics, including wellness, health, career, basketball, of course. I mean, he was in the NBA. Dedication, hard work, balance, sustainability, and of course, we dive deep into Eduardo's transformation and how he is using his power for good. Through this beautiful conversation with Eduardo, I realized again just how capable we are as humans to accomplish whatever we want when we set our minds to it, how absolutely powerful we are, how powerful our bodies are when we take charge, and how this can all work in sync. I was so inspired hearing Eduardo's story and seeing the strength in his journey, the belief he had in himself, and the challenges that he overcame. I can't wait to share. So let's jump in. Hello. Good morning. So I've known you for such a long time. I think what it's been like over 10 years, something like that. I think the first time I met you, you were a tiny little girl. I am. <laughs> and I was, a, I was a young man. Uh, I, I want to say I was 24. You, you must have been, oof, gosh, maybe... 12, uh, we met briefly, <laughs> took a couple of pictures, and then here we are. But yeah, uh, about 10 years or so, we started talking. Uh, I guess we started developing into more of a professional <laughs> yeah, so uh, entrepreneur it, yes. type of person. So everyone has a little background. Eduardo is one of my father's best friends now and has quickly, you know, over the years become a great great friend of mine and great friend of our whole family. So um, it's been really an honor to grow up uh, watching you play and just actually, you know, being um, friends with you really. Uh, You're such an inspiration to me. And I think um, such an inspiration to so many and such a great friend of of my father. So I'm great. I'm so happy that you guys are, are great friends, but honestly, over the years, we really haven't talked that much about basketball together. (laughs) And, um, I know you've had a great impact on the industry. So starting with university of Oklahoma, 
right? And then going pro, that was the evolution. So correct me if I'm wrong on anything. I'm not a basketball pro, but um, my first question is, what was it like to sort of break that ground? I believe you were only the second Mexican in the NBA. And I want to know kind of what was that like? Of course, um, I was the uh, the first one to get drafted uh, in an NBA draft. I was the, uh, the eighth big in the second round. Uh, though many people have seen my NBA career, but the journey started way be- uh, before the NBA. I got drafted in the uh, year of 2000. But prior to that, I went to University of Oklahoma, as you stated. I'm a Sooner. Uh, a lot of people get confused with Oklahoma State as a rival. <laughs> uh, but then if you go a little further than that, uh, you know, I started my career in Chihuahua, Mexico. We are a basketball state. Uh, Chihuahua is the biggest state of the country. Uh, not very populated, but we are close to the border, close to uh, El Paso, Texas, which it gave me an opportunity to to also play basketball. While I was living in Mexico, I would do some tournaments in the U.S., which it, it gave me the exposure to a whole different level of basketball uh, in a different country. And, and obviously, uh, that, was, that was big early in my career. So my aspiration was never to get to the NBA. My aspiration mm-hmm. was to come across the U.S. and learn. I was very intrigued about the U.S. culture. I was very intrigued about the language. I was very intrigued about everything. And since we're sort of neighbors, uh, being from the state of Chihuahua, so close to Texas, you know, I was intrigued about coming to search for a better education uh, and perhaps, you know, create a life of my own in the U.S. So my journey started in Chihuahua, playing basketball all around, all the tournaments, outdoor basketball courts. Uh, it's not like I had the, um, you know, the, the beautiful facilities that you have in the U.S., Yet, it didn't stop me. I just wanted to play basketball. I knew that, that it was a good way for me to stay active uh, in a healthy way, stay um, or be a part of a team. And I really enjoyed it to the point that I was willing to, to sacrifice my family and friends um, back then to come across the U.S. and search for uh, a different life. Now, basketball was the tool that got me, uh, at, that opened different doors for me. And the first one was, you know, I came to San Antonio, Texas as an exchange student. Uh, as I mentioned, I wanted to learn English. That was it. My plans were to go back to, uh, to Chihuahua, to my country, uh, bilingual. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. it, it was a little interesting because I did uh, have... I did have a great high school year and that opened all the doors and that's how I got an opportunity to, to become a, a Sooner uh, on a full scholarship at the University of Oklahoma. And obviously I, I'm, I'm very grateful that basketball gave me that and took advantage of it. Well, it sounds like that was very challenging while also an incredible journey. Did you find it was pretty accepting from your team, the fans? Did you have a lot of support here in the U.S.? Well, at the beginning, I did not have a lot of support. I was 
new kid walking in. Everybody thought being a Mexican athlete, everybody thought that I was a soccer player, of course, <laughs> uh, since soccer yeah. is the main sport in Mexico. Uh, except I was already six eight walking around. Uh, yeah, I don't know about soccer at that that height. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually I, I did play soccer growing up, and I was pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. But basketball was my passion since the day I picked up that basketball. I, I was pretty passionate about it, and and I was willing to to put in the work. But yeah, long journey. There was a lot of up up and downs as any. But it's life. I mean, you go through great memories. You have some bad ones, uh, but I think that you really build character, uh, especially the uh, the bad memories. You know, if you learn from your mistakes, mm-hmm. if you learn mm-hmm. from some of those walls that are up or obstacles that you go through in life, I think that it builds character and it makes you work harder, and it makes you appreciate the journey even more. Yes, definitely. And as you mentioned, I know you're from Chihuahua, where I'm also from. (laughs) And I moved, obviously, from Chihuahua when I was much younger, but it was still a shock to me. I think, you know, my brother and I had to learn English very young. But another thing that, for me, one of the most uh, interesting things was just like the fast-paced culture in in the U.S. versus Chihuahua. I think we both gained a lot of weight. (laughs) <laughs> it was like McDonald's, all this, um, you know, food that was just so different from what we were used to in Chihuahua. We weren't really cooking at home very much. What did you feel like um, was, I guess, the most shocking elements moving from somewhere like Chihuahua to the U.S.? What fascinated you? What did you like? What did you not like? Well, I mean, you kind of hit it. We don't call it gastronomy. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the the food, the difference in between the foods, obviously, I, I grew up with more of an organic scenario, uh, not that many options at home, and it wasn't necessarily healthy all the time. But but there was no burgers and pizza, and and there was no going out to eat. Uh, so yeah, you you took your time to to cook the meal, especially uh, at the house took the time to have a family gathering for a couple of hours. Uh, I believe the Steel Mexico has that lunch break for two hours at 2 p.m., 2 to 4, and then they go back to work, and then they don't leave the office until 8 or 9 p.m., which is kind of like the routine. But it was a big shock coming to the U.S., and there was none of that. It was eating at the school, which was literally... Uh, just as bad as McDonald's or <laughs> as bad as any other fast food, but it was everything was like in a hurry. And it was a challenge to to adjust to that because there was no interaction, social interaction. You you have a, an opportunity to even talk to um, your classmates or your teammates. Everything was like so fast. And, and you're right. I mean, I even have family that come and visit. My brother, especially, uh, he has mentioned that the day flies by here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because everything is so fast. By the time you get up and take care of yourself, work out, then get to the office, then you got to turn around and quick lunch and then go back again and everything moves so fast. And uh, he was shocked as well that the way I live is a fast pace compared to um, Chihuahua back home. They take their time. And I don't know whether it's good or bad. Obviously, uh, being from Mexico is obviously my my favorite place in the world and 
I'm attached to it, but also the U.S. is one of the best cultures, one of the best countries, the best country in the world. So I'm not sure whether it's good or bad, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you have to be cognizant of what you consume because your body will react. And, and even though there's better opportunity here, if you don't have any health to enjoy, <laughs> to enjoy the, the wealth that you created through your work, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Health is the most important thing. And I, I going back to your question, yes, that was the biggest uh, shocking experience for me walking in at a young age and trying to participate in athletics, but not refueling my body properly to the point that when I was going through practice or games, I was sluggish. I was feeling worse than, than mm. not eating mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And what, what did you do to sort of cope with that? How did you refuel? <laughs> Eventually you have to, right? <laughs> in high school, you can get by in high school, in college. It was the first time in college. That's when I felt it. That's when I was like, okay, I cannot do this. And I remember vividly the time, and it was the last time that I visited McDonald's, by the way, this is <laughs> 1990, 1996 is my freshman year. And one of my, my teammates was a huge McDonald's fan. I ate it because I needed it. It was fast and it was cheap <laughs> and it was a lot of carbohydrates. It hopefully will give you the energy to have a three hour practice. But I remember that I consumed that and I went to practice and I had to literally get the food out of my stomach. I mean, I vomited oh my God. before <laughs> practice uh, because I was feeling so bad. And after that, I, I feel so much better. And I went and practice and I said, this is the last time that I put something in my body that is not, or that is poisonous, you can say that, mm-hmm. to your body. Um, and then I started changing my, my behavior because high school, I, I created these bad habits, nutritional habits, and, and, and I understand, you know, sometimes a lot of us, we need it, but now there, there is like healthy options. We just need to look for them. But it took me a while and it took me a bad experience to change my habits. And then eventually I started migrating towards um, healthy options. And even though I, I had to spend more energy and, and time to find whatever my body needed, but in the end, it was all about uh, the performance on the basketball court. And therefore, the nutrition aspect was very important. So I incorporated that into my basketball career, and it really, really made a big difference. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And it's really interesting to think about because even if you look at the ingredients of similar foods from here in the U.S. to like Europe, we have so many different like toxic chemicals that are so unnecessary. So you have to be so much more conscious and it's interesting to think about people that have moved here and aren't really aware of that. So you really do need to be conscious. And it's okay to indulge once in a while. Yes. But when you make it a lifestyle, when you make it a lifestyle, it'll eventually, uh, will catch up. So, and that was the thing. Like once I made that transition and I started taking care of my body, which my body has given me everything that I have, you know, I, I started to understand how that was something that athletes need to mm-hmm. talk about. They need some guidance and we still don't have it. And now that I'm, I'm still in the same industry, I, you know, I work for the Mavericks for a long time and uh, I've seen athletes that, that I 
talk to them. I was like, hey, listen, you know, if you take care of your body, because ultimately it's all about longevity. Mm-hmm. How many years can you be performing at a high level, especially in the best league in the world? How many years can you have? Now, when you have these bad habits and you consume these toxins and all these chemicals, your career will shorten out. Mm-hmm. Instead of playing 10 years, you might play only five. So you live in mm-hmm. the table five productive years uh, where you can monetize those years. And I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for yourself, for the family, for your career, and obviously for your, for your health. So it's something that um, I, I believe that the NBA needs to uh, get a hold of that and start talking to uh, players about nutrition and the importance of it. It is so important. And I think you really mastered that. I mean, you were in the NBA 20 plus years, correct? Well, combined 20 plus years. So you need to preach this. (laughs) (laughs) But tell me about the pressure that goes with playing NBA. Did you feel any, how did you cope with that pressure? Like staying in the league, staying on top, getting tons of money? I mean, how did you um, deal with this? And how did you really feel this? Absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of pressure, uh, not only to perform, but there's a lot of pressure outside the basketball court with friends, with um, family members. There is so many events. There's so many uh, ways to consume alcohol. And also they offer you drugs all over the place. So the the easiest thing would be to to be isolated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the way I see it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that is the best way to do it, but it, mm-hmm. what I did and worked for me was I was very selective with my relationships, with my friends, very selective, wanted it to be a bit more like me, uh, you know, into tinker of the bodies, basketball, or any other sport. Um, I was very cognizant about who I had around me and not necessarily that I needed something from them, but if I could teach him a little bit about my industry was great. And if I can learn from them, but it was, it was that type of mindset that I, that I had back then to make sure that I didn't make mistakes off the basketball court, because right now there is so many things that can happen with social media. You can say the wrong thing and the NBA or my industry is a big industry and this is an investment on each athlete. And they see it, they see it as just like business as an asset. And if the asset is not performing or if the asset is making the wrong choices of the basketball court, I mean, they can terminate your contract at any given time. Mm-hmm. They, they have that type of power and that type of money. So they don't really care. And they know there is so much competition that they can fill in your spot at any given time. Uh, the pressure on the basketball court, playing in front of 20,000 plus people every night is not easy. You know, there is a lot of mental breakdowns and that's why mental health is, is very important. Uh, now is becoming, you know, is becoming not an issue, but it's becoming sort of a, uh, a thing around the NBA because there is guys that cannot take the pressure of performance. And there could be some trauma going back to childhood and they, they just need to compensate. And now teams are, are hiring help 
professionals to to consult and to make sure that the players are are mentally stable so they can perform. Uh, in my case, I, I obviously I use our psychologists all the time, especially when I went through injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the pressure that I had to perform, what I did was I just make sure that I did my work early. So before I got to a game, I make sure that my practice was as good, if not better. My preparation was key because once you put in work, then all that pressure and anxiety goes away and the game becomes so much easier. The game is a reward of your, your hard work that you put in. And, and I think that that really worked for me. And uh, when I felt that I was not performing at a high level, when I felt that the coaches were putting a little overloading me with, with the job, when I felt that teammates were injured and, or we were losing or whatever, I mean, I went back to work even more. Mm-hmm. I went back to my preparation to, to the foundation mm-hmm. that made me who I was. And, and it really worked for me uh, because there's a lot of examples and I've had teammates that they complain and complain. I don't get to play. I don't get any attention. I don't get just like a kid. And then <laughs> they don't want to put in the work. They mm-hmm. don't want to practice. Mm-hmm. And everybody's watching. We're watching you not pr- participate during practices. And all you do is sit out there and complain. And I've seen it where they finally get an opportunity and they don't have the right preparation and they fail. Mm. And that's where I'm like, okay, that's a good example for me not to do. (laughs) So I'm going to continue working. I'm going to try to be the best um, uh, in in better shape than the rest of my teammates, the rest of the league. It was a competition, internal competition and external, but ultimately it was about me. And I wanted to make sure that I was going to work very hard. And if I didn't perform, it was because of my skill level, because I was just not good enough, but not because I didn't put the work in. Well, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, over <laughs> over prepare and the the pressure maybe goes down, right? So I think that's a great philosophy. I mean, you're focusing on the positive though. And I think I think that's that's great. I mean, that's that's very inspirational, definitely. And so sometimes they uh, the coaches were uh, would lock me out. They, they didn't want me. They wanted me to rest. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not going to happen because I'm telling you, it doesn't feel right. If you don't have that right, the right preparation, if you don't do what, what is demanded, and if you take one day off, it's almost like you feel lethargic. It's almost mm-hmm. like you feel off. Uh, so it's, sometimes it's best. And it's, as you get older, we tend to, to think, well, as you get older, you know, I'm going to work more efficient, which is maybe works at an, an office job. But with... In my industry as an athlete, with injuries at court, and as you get older, you have to work more. <laughs> but does there come a point where you've pushed yourself so much that it's unhealthy, where you're over, over-preparing and you're overworking yourself where it's too much? Uh, well, there's, there's going to be a balance, of course. You know, they, um, what I'm talking about is, is in-season. Yes. So yeah. you have you have about six to seven months, depending on how far you go in the playoffs, 
So in season is all about your body, it's all about working. And then once you end your season, then you have to balance. Then you, you say, you know, I, I used to start like my body weight was 245 pounds. By the time I ended the season, I was like at 225. I was exhausted and my body shrunk from all the uh, energy that I had to spend. So then after that, it was time to rest, get the proper rest, and then rebuild your body to get back for the next season. Now, with that said, during the season, and what I'm talking about is as I was overloading, my, my partner used to make fun of me and, and they still do. I got off my feet. <laughs> when I went home, I, I never sat down. I never stood up. I was flat laying. Doesn't mean that I was sleeping, but <laughs> that was the proper rest. I needed it yeah. to continue working. And then I always went to bed early, going back to nutrition, mm-hmm. I, you know, refuel my body to make sure that it'll heal during the night. Uh, I slept like a baby. <laughs> yes. Then the following day, uh, I was well rested. So it, rest is, is another component, mm-hmm. key component um, that, that we kind of take it for granted. Definitely. Especially as you uh, as you're younger, <laughs> uh, and and it's something that you have to incorporate. Yeah, good sleep is is definitely one of the most important things. I think they say if you sleep properly, you add I don't even know however many years to your life. <laughs> but um, I know you have a beautiful family. I've met your kids, your daughter now in college. Um, there must have been times where it was really hard to balance having a family and having this demanding, fast-paced career. How did you practice balancing it all? Did you ever feel overwhelmed? I did. I did. And th- that's another type of pressure that uh, your spouse is always, you're always on the road. And when I went home, I didn't want to entertain. I didn't want anybody around. I wanted to be resting. And she felt like, well, you know, we need to do something with the kids. And, and she was right. Yeah, of course. Uh, and obviously it's, it's important. So during the season, yeah, uh, that's one of the biggest sacrifices that you, that you have to do. Uh, you know, I, I missed a lot of kids' activities. But during the summer, they became part of my routine, of course. And I worked really hard for six months or seven months. In summertime, it was family time. So I usually took like about a month um, where I w- we would go somewhere and we just together. There was no basketball. I mean, I was still uh, taking care of my body, working out, make sure that I, I build my, my muscles that I lost during the season. But after that, it was all about uh, spending time, quality time with, with the family and any work for some time. But obviously there was conflict uh, in the middle of the year. Uh, where I was most of the time I was gone. And, you know, sometimes my, <laughs> my oldest daughter sometimes has mentioned that, that I wasn't there when, when she was a, a kid. And I said, I know baby, but I was working really hard and I'm here now <laughs> and I have all the time in the world yeah. to be with them. And, and I don't know, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, you can, it's a great opportunity and, and, and financially it was incredible so it's really what what um the sacrifice you have to make to to accomplish what i did and i had to do it and 
my kids understand now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's beautiful that you're able to um, speak of that with your daughter and that there's understanding and communication between you guys. So now let's talk a little bit about some, some non-sports stuff. <laughs> um, some stuff that, um, yeah, that I wanted to talk about. So a topic that, you know, I love talking about um, sustainability. How does climate change and environmental issues come to mind? Are you into that? What are your thoughts on it? Um, is it you know, part of your life at all? Well, I'm aware. There's no question about it. I'm aware. And yes, I, I would love to change the world. I would love to uh, help uh, when it comes to the environment. And, and uh, at one point, I looked at other institutions to, to get um, active and, and, and do some events to, to raise capital, to, to do multiple good things. But in the end, I think it starts at home. And that's where I try to teach my kids. Uh, it, it starts with little things, you know, recycling, mm-hmm. per se. Uh, I never was, you know, into that. But I, I started kind of trying to make a change in within me with my kids. So moving forward, instead of me trying to try, try to get adults and everybody else change, I think it starts at, at your home, your household. Mm-hmm. And I think that whatever you do, as little as it is, is if it's good for the environment, I mean, we should do it. I've been approached by a... Uh, uh, Mana <laughs> rock band mm-hmm. uh, to talk about they're, they're trying to to uh, to do some campaigns about uh, they're trying to save wells, which is kind of cool, right? So they're they're more into the ocean, oh, wow. and I got involved with that for a minute. But they're you know they're huge, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like they needed me. They they had everything under control. They were doing a great job. I've gone to uh, Cancun, and I. I usually visit this property that I got to know uh, the managers and the people that owns the property. And you have the reef, you have to view the reef. Mm -hmm. And I actually started reading about it because how many times we go to the beach and we are so careless Mm -hmm. with trash Mm -hmm. and that's so hurtful for the ocean and for the fish especially for that reef and they do take care of it. And finally I was, okay, why are we so strict about this when you get into it and what the ocean provides for humans food on the table and that reef is super important. So I started like, wait a second. Then I started teaching my kids, like you, you need to understand there's no plastic around here and nothing, any wrap you give it to me or you need to go to the trash mm-hmm. can because that would hurt, you know, all these species. I mean, I read that there's 4,000 species in that reef mm-hmm. alone. And it's the second biggest reef in, in the world. So I was so into it. <laughs> uh, and again, I, you know, they're, they're, the, uh, the owner of the property, he was telling me that uh, about some uh, nonprofit organizations that they take care of that, which I was so happy uh, because, you know, as humans, we sometimes get careless mm-hmm. about the the world and the environment. And we want to leave a safe and healthy environment for our kids and mm-hmm. starts in the household. That's the way I see it. Definitely. I think I'm cer- certain that after you have kids, it becomes even more, you know, hits even closer to home, thinking about the future 
and how we're leaving things. And there are so many great organizations and people that are really fighting for for the cause. So it's really cool that you've got to to meet a couple of those organizations and people approached you. And incredible that you're actually quite knowledgeable on that. Yeah. So <laughs> I was really upset. I, I actually, uh, I, I read this article and our president in Mexico I was really upset of what he's doing. He, uh, he changed the law and in Congress actually let a slide where he's trying to provide more contracts for the uh, CFEs. That's what it's called. And this is the main grid, which uses a lot of gas, fossil oils. And I was really upset because then he started putting aside the alternative, alternative electric, you know, the, I don't know how you say that in English, the Sistema Aeolico, se dice en español. Those windmills, the big ones that oh, okay, are all yes. over the Midwest. So he started just kind of take, taking that away. And right, right there, a leader of a country cannot do that. Mm. He has to be more mindful of the environment. That really bothered me and uh, to the point that I kind of wanted to send a letter. <laughs> you uh, definitely that's, should. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Voice your opinion. Um, actually, thinking about some of those organizations, I was reading a little bit about some of the things that have been published about you, which I had not done before. And I, I read that in 2004, you had established the Eduardo Najera Foundation for Latino Achievement which provides um, college scholarships for Latino students facing barriers to their education. Is this still active? Is this something that um, is still going on? And what was the, I guess, driving force behind this? It's not active anymore. During my career, and I'm, I'm going to tell you how we started this. I, um, I was approached, obviously, I, I was an exchange student. I was fortunate enough to, uh, to have a host family in San Antonio, then I got a full scholarship to the University of Oklahoma. Then I moved on to the NBA with my career. And there were so many letters uh, from fans that I got and asking for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot of Hispanics, Mexicans, especially that were contacting me where they, they didn't have the means to, to get an education. Mm-hmm. And that's how my passion started. Uh, so when I started seeing all these um, letters, testimonials, mm-hmm. and the needs that that these kids, boys and girls had, I felt obligated, uh, and I wanted to do it as well. The reason I said I felt obligated is boys because I got help as well along the way mm-hmm. throughout, throughout my career. So I started the foundation that same year because I wanted to help some of these kids with scholarships, um, utilizing all my sponsorships. I, I knew that it's a big commitment and there was so many kids uh, with needs and it, it's, it's obviously difficult to help everyone, but mm-hmm. we started choosing uh, kids that, that were similar to myself. Uh, there were athletes that needed a little push, a scholarship here and there to have a better preparation in athletics and obviously, or most importantly, uh, in, in the classroom. And that's how we started. We, uh, we sponsored so many. I, I had the best help uh, through all of my sponsorships that were pitching in. And that's when I started figuring out. I was like, okay, we can utilize some other institutions uh, 
Uh, I'm willing to put up the time and some of my money. And they really started uh, pouring dollars for these kids that they took advantage. Now, the beautiful thing about the NBA is that is, you know, you were recognized and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful job, one of the best in the, in the world. But once you're out of the NBA, everything, the fame, everything goes away with it. Mm-hmm. So there was no more sponsorships. There was nothing else. Um, and that's when I decided to, uh, instead of continue, because uh, at one point I was putting more effort and energy to the foundation than my own family. So then mm-hmm. I was I had to make mm-hmm. a decision. I was like, you know what? Uh, through the Eduardo Najera Foundation, I got to know uh, other executives that were running the Telmex Foundation. Then I started seeing all these other foundations that I was like, you know what? They really have the means and they have so much. So I, we kind of did some events together and that's when we talked about uh, me getting involved more with the Telmex Foundation more so than, than my own foundation. And I saw a, a better opportunity because then I had an input and obviously I was helping uh, uh, a specific group of kids, boys and girls. They're helping 10,000 kids a year. Wow. And I love the idea. So that's when I was like, you know what? I kind of shifted uh, because it's not about my name anyways. It's not, I have the, the best, one of the best qualities about myself, I think, it's my opinion, of course, is that I have no ego. So my name, I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I basically joined the Telmix Foundation and it was so much better because they have open resources. Not only I got involved with their foundation, the Telmox Foundations, but we also created a basketball league, which I thought it was brilliant. Wow. So when we did this, and that's why I stopped the, uh, my foundation. Mm. We created a basketball league, but we started with, I want to say it was like a thousand boys and girls mm-hmm. uh, playing basketball. And right now, uh, it's now the, the Telmex Basketball League. They have probably like 70,000 boys and girls active playing basketball they pay for everything Mm -hmm. and also those particular boys and girls as they're growing in this platform they're active they're learning about uh the fundamentals of basketball Mm -hmm. but they're also learning about values in life if they combine athletics with the classroom Mm -hmm. they get great scholarships uh if they want to stay in mexico if they want to go somewhere in Europe, you're going to come to the U.S. And the Telmex Foundation is the one that uh, has come through and, and basically, um, you know, take care of all these boys and girls. So they, they literally took care of my dream. That yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. And wow, so that all started from you. So that congratulations with on that because <laughs> you're really, you've helped so many people. That's That's so amazing. And... Also, can we go back to the statement that you just made that you have no ego? <laughs> That's, do you find that to be really true across your whole life that you really have no, no ego? It depends. I mean, what, what is the <laughs> definition of ego, right? Uh, but but I, I, I really, throughout my career and, and throughout my life, 
there's one word that I learned uh, when I was in college, and the word was was selfless. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I was intrigued. I was like, "What does that mean?" And and our coach used it, and I didn't know the word at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'm already in college, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> but English was my second yeah. language. First time I heard it, so I, I obviously uh, back then I didn't have a phone, but <laughs> I was asking, I was asking my coach, I was like, "What what does it mean?" So he gave me his definition, and then later on, when I had a chance, I you know looked at the word, read it so many times, uh, wrote it many times, and I even made because uh, I used to make these. Uh, little cards, <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to create some structure with my routine, but also some motivational words. And selfless was the one that really got stuck with me. And the way I saw it, you know, I, I was part of the team. I have been a part of a team my whole life. Mm-hmm. Part of a team, the way you grow up, you have mom and dad, the le- leaders, you have brothers, sisters, that's a team, mm-hmm. right? Then you move forward classroom is a team now you have some individual work all all around but ultimately it's it's like a team when it came to my teammates especially the ones that were selfish everybody thought i need to score a certain amount of points Mm -hmm. i need to grab this i need to do this i i have to and i started seeing that and i was like you know if i concentrate on my teammates, on their needs, if I listen and study them and try to help them succeed on the basketball court, if they have success, that means I'm going to have success. So I kind of became a natural leader where I'm investing Mm -hmm. in my teammates to become more of leaders, not a positional leader, but an ultimate natural leader where then you have to do the same thing for all the teammates. So when I started concentrating on, on, on them and stopped thinking about what I wanted and what I needed, then everything opened up. And I literally utilized that throughout the NBA because at one point there is some limitations and I have some limitations with my skill level, with my athleticism, with my height, in many areas of of my game, but I knew that, and it could be the differences of cultures, but I knew that my teammates were very selfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to the point where I was like, okay, I need to make them understand the importance of teamwork and how it works. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing all these other things and I led by example, not just by talking to them, but also like you do the right thing at all times. And this is the way it looks and you do it consistently and therefore everybody follows and they, they, uh, they start seeing me as a, as kind of like the glue of the team. And mm-hmm. that's why I had a long successful career by being an unselfish, uh, player. And of course, you know, all the values and fundamentals that I learned through athletics, I applied that in my life yeah. and that's what I do it. Same with my kids. I, when they, you know, it's interesting, but when they were babies, they, you, the first word that they, the first word they learn is mine. This is mine. <laughs> and it could be somebody else's story. No, that's mine. Yeah. And you have to like kind of 
talk to them, but when they're babies, it's, it's just like, I guess, the nature of a human. Mm-hmm. But as they're developing into young men, right now I have teenagers and that's the rule. You don't fight. Uh, everything is ours and we share everything because that's the way I want them to understand. And mm-hmm. when they leave my house, it's not about them. It's about everybody else and how they can help others. And when you do that, you help yourself, of course. Yeah. And I think that's a really beautiful perspective. I think there's so much you can learn from sports really, but I think if more people learn to sort of let the ego rest and think about the team, the community, that we would be really in a different, in a different place on this earth, because I mean, mankind, humans, this whole planet, it is, it's a team, you know, we have to work together. That's the circle of life. That's, that's our ecosystem, essentially, you know, we're a team, we're a community, we have to work and nourish each other. And it is thinking about helping each other and in helping each other, we are helping ourselves. Like you said, you know, the ocean takes care of us, the skies, the air, it takes care of us as well. You know, we take care of the animals, they nourish our bodies as well. The plants, it's all reciprocal. And so I think that is a really beautiful way to explain how you worked on the basketball court, because it makes sense. You know, you need to take care of your team members. Therefore, they can take care of you and you can achieve your goals together. So I think that's a really, really beautiful perspective. And I love the way you just put it. Um, maybe that's you to rephrase. I should rephrase everything that I said, but I love the way you just put it. Yes, the ocean takes care of us and we need to take care of the ocean, mm-hmm. the sky, the, the whatever. And, you know, we tend to become a selfish Yeah. Uh, individual and and it's all about us. But we're we're all getting better, you know. We're we're slowly <laughs> awakening. We are coming together, and there's more people that are speaking up, and you know that's why we're here having this conversation too. Which actually brings me to my next question, which um, you know about my past and how I've kind of been going through my awakening, kind of been uh, going through an evolution over the past five years, particularly I guess this past year, really been focusing on myself, and I wanted to. Talk to you a bit about that and how you feel spirituality plays a role in your life. Spirituality is a big role in my life. It has been at all times. I, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm super religious, but I, I believe in a, in a higher energy, of course, mm-hmm. higher light. Um, we all have different beliefs and we have to be respectful of each other's beliefs. But I, I do feel it. I feel the, uh, that energy, vibrant energy in within me. Mm-hmm. And I meditate. I pray every day, all the time. Mm-hmm. I am now a certified yogi. I'm, I, I am. Yes. <laughs> certainly. I'm certainly not teaching, but. But I'm, I'm so passionate about it because it gives me an opportunity to go to a sanctuary where it's my space and nobody's in it. And for one hour, I get to do what I love doing, but I also get an opportunity to be aware of who I am, where I am, how I feel, uh, what hurts, what doesn't hurt, what feels great. And obviously, it gives me an opportunity to, to let go of things that are stuck in my brain to let go of bad energy that is stuck in my body. And I, I, I do it on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I do it every day. And it's, it's been kind of a, 
a uh, an awakening, as as you <laughs> put it. Uh, I started obviously. Uh, I grew up Catholic, uh, became a Christian, but I was raised in a in a the Catholic church, um, which I remember that my mom used to take me every Sunday, and <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I was not very <laughs> receptive of it. Mm-hmm. Then then I started migrating uh, to being a Christian when I met uh, a wonderful family in San Antonio, and I, I saw who they are, mm. how they their beliefs and I loved it. So I became that. And now I feel like I'm more of a um, total complete (laughs) (laughs) um, religious type of man. Like I said, I I, I believe obviously in God, but I also believe in the universe, Mm -hmm. which I think is God. And I believe in this energy all around us. And I believe to a certain degree where, uh, that might be the reason that we try to stay away from negative people or people that are always in trouble or always in a bad mood because that's bad energy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. I, I, yeah. I have a great energy and I do not want to uh, take on your bad energy. <laughs> so I stay away from that. Mm-hmm. I believe in in all those little things. But ultimately, um, the meditation aspect is quite fascinating. And I incorporate it in my daily routine and has worked extremely well for me and for my well my mental health and for my body and obviously for my spirit so i don't know if i answered yeah, your question no definitely and you know spirituality can mean so many d- different things i think i'm a very spiritual person and not necessarily religious um i grew up also i guess kind of catholic i mean my, my dad was was catholic we would do you know one one Sunday Catholic church. And then the other Sunday would go to a non-denominational church with my mom. So we were like in between the, the worlds and it was interesting though, because it gave us different perspectives. And at the end of the day, I think you have to, you know, evolve and, and choose for yourself. But like you, I feel like I believe in the universe and I'm kind of just a, a spiritual being of my own with no label. Um, so I definitely understand, but I guess, do you feel like you've had a, an awakening or in your life? By awakening, I mean sort of just a, a big moment in your life, some sort of big transformation, something that has uh, greatly affected you. I, I really, I'm a big believer that we have uh, those awakenings throughout your life. Um, I mean, the first one was, you know, it's, it's not easy to to figure out what what you're passionate about. It's not easy to to find a career. I mean. Most of us, we don't find it and you're 40 or 50 and then you settle for a job or activities that you're not, you don't even want to do. <laughs> so my first awakening, I remember growing up uh, in a household where my father was absent, uh, working supposedly all the time and didn't have a bad childhood. I mean, it was, we, we had everything that we needed food on the table. We had a roof over our head. I had to share a room with my brothers all the time, but uh, it was not necessarily bad. I mean, it was kind of a cool, it was like a party every night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But at one point, you know, there was an awakening that that happened and I started getting into basketball. I started believing more in my skill level, my athleticism. Uh, My father never watched me play. And I remember when I was 
when I made the decision, I had to make the decision. It wasn't my mom and dad. I made a decision to leave my country. Mm-hmm. And as I told my mom, my mom said, no, you're not leaving. And she said, cry. And I said, mom, I'm, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And I was 17 years old. Wow. So I talked to my dad uh, and he said, you're on your own. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I have been on my own since, since I was a kid. <laughs> but the awakening was as, as um, you know, I, he took me to, to take the bus from, from the city of Chihuahua to go to the border, mm-hmm. Juarez, uh, near El Paso, Texas. Uh, one of the awakenings was as my dad drove me to the bus station and my mom couldn't do it. She was crying. Like, I can't believe I'm the youngest of the family. She was Aww. crying. Like, my baby's leaving. Yeah. I was like, mom, this is for the best. Uh, and I would try to kind of tough it up. And my dad didn't say a word. Oh, wow. Um, and it was a long drive mm-hmm. to the bus. Then, then, then he took his wallet out. I was like, whoa, you have a wallet? <laughs> <laughs> He gave me, he gave me a couple hundred bucks and he said to me, I don't ever want to see you again. Wow. I'm 17. I'm getting on a bus. My dad is telling me that. Mm. I feel like shit. (laughs) Obviously I I didn't understand where he was coming from and, and I'm pretty sure he didn't know how to communicate what he was trying to say. But that was not my awakening. <laughs> I cried on the bus ride. It was a five-hour bus ride to the border. And we stopped at this little place where there was nothing around. But there was like a, a chapel. And I went in there. And, you know, talking about spirituality, I mean, I, I, I got on my knees and prayed that, that no matter what, I was not going to let this opportunity waste and I was never going to go back. I was never going to go back to Mexico. Uh, obviously I was hurt by the words that my dad mm-hmm. said, but at the same time, I'm grateful. Yeah. Cause that right there really worked something in within me. So I worked my ass off after that. There was no going back. There was no turning back. I was not going to accept failure. And I knew whatever it was searching for at that particular moment, I knew I was going to do it with passion. I was going to do it religiously. I was going to be disciplined. I was going to be committed. I was going to do whatever it takes to make something out of my life. And you did. <laughs> I think that's the uh, the most powerful awakening, because you know, I, I, as, as a 17-year-old boy leaving mom, dad, comfort zone, you know, leaving everything behind, friends, culture, city, country, you name it. It's a journey that starts full of doubts. It's a journey that is very scary. 17 years old, coming by myself to an unknown territory. It, it, was, it was rough, but that awakening took away my fear, took away any doubt. Mm-hmm. 
And I really believe in myself from that point forward. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge undertaking and a big journey. I mean, I think decisions and journeys like that definitely build your character and your strength for the rest of your life. So thank you so much for sharing that experience and your awakening, which I think set the course for the rest of your life, <laughs> which has been an incredible, incredible life so far. And I'm sure it will only continue to be something amazing. <laughs> and that's, and that's the thing, you know, everybody, my family, they thought that I was coming to waste my time. They thought that I was coming to party or to just, just for fun. Um, and then maybe people do that. Maybe people, they, again, they take things for granted opportunities that they let go and, you know, fans in Mexico, they thought that I was a total failure off the basketball court that I was just into the glam glamorous lifestyle that basketball gives you, you know, when, when you're young and have fame and money and all that, I mean, you get all the attention being an NBA player, but I never, 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 I mean, I'm not gonna say never. I mean, I, I enjoyed it of course, but I, you make me stay grounded. You make me definitely um, be aware of the fake lifestyle mm -hmm. that the NBA was providing and the fake relationships and friends that the lifestyle was creating. How have you used, I guess, the, the strength and the character that that awakening and that experience built within you, um, you know, in throughout your career and I guess, I mean, throughout even your life now, how do you go back to that moment and, and that transformation? I go back quite often. Uh, obviously, um, when I got to San Antonio, it was an incredible environment, good, great family that I got to spend time with, uh, great school, private school that they embraced me with open arms stay there for one year, my senior year of high school, then I have to pack all my stuff, go to University of Oklahoma by myself, which it was not easy again. And when I got to the University of Oklahoma, the competition was incredible high. Coaches, the pressure that they were putting on you. So there was so many moments that I wanted to quit. I wanted to go back home, go back to the easy life that I already had and created. Uh, I, I could going home and play professionally and make plenty of money at a young age. But every time that I was desperate and I was doubting and I wanted to literally quit, I went back to that moment. I went back to the promise that I made myself. I went back, relive the ride with my father, what he told me, uh, the words that he used. I go back to that hard bus ride mm -hmm. that I was crying. I, I, I went back to the moment that I prayed and the words that I said, and it literally gave me a boost of confidence right away. It gave me a boost of energy right away. Mm -hmm. And it changed my mindset. Mm -hmm. When I had a negative, negative mindset, that particular moment switched it right to right away to a positive 
mindset. And then I would continue. And I told myself, there's no way of going back. There's, there's only one way and we're moving forward. And that's what I did. That awakening, that particular moment, every time that I did that, it, it, it literally uh, saved my career so many times, my basketball career, my obviously my professional career. Yeah, I think we're sometimes given these really big challenges in life and it's kind of a moment where you can see it as something incredibly challenging, something really negative, or you can kind of see it as opportunity. And this is almost the moment of the awakening. You know, this is like your moment with your father telling you this, the bus ride, something that you could have completely given up in that moment, you know, or you channel it and you say, no, this is the moment. Actually, I'm going to be triumphant and channeling that energy and using actually that energy of overcoming that challenge in that moment where you have actually gone so low and felt, you know, such sadness. And then you channel that and you overcome it. And then you use that power that you develop in that moment for the rest of your life. And I think that's so important for people to hear and to know and anyone listening to, to us right now, because if you are in a space where you feel like completely down and completely lost, it could be some, it could be your moment actually, <laughs> you know, it could be right around the corner for you an awakening. It could be your opportunity actually to overcome whatever it is you're going through in life, which is exactly Absolutely. what you did. Yeah. And the choice is yours. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you, you are completely right, uh, Christina. The, uh, the easiest thing to do is, is, is literally use that awakening in a negative way mm -hmm. and to stop doing, stop following your dreams or your goals because something shifted in your life that you didn't like it or you can cast it in within and use it as motivation. Mm -hmm to become a better human being and to become a better, whatever it is, athlete, doctor, engineer, environmentalist, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yes. So coming to the present day, uh, what, what are you up to now? What is it like post pro and how do you, how do you find purpose after doing something so intense? Um, you know, like being in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I may not, place uh, obviously I'm, I'm stable my kids are stable uh it took me a while <laughs> after retirement mm -hmm. to to get some structure with with the family uh finally i i'm in a place where i'm flexible i have plenty of time in my hands and i'm trying to figure out how to utilize it best um there is some investments that i've made that i have to monitor in a consistent basis, um, some new adventures that are in line. I'm not, not sure whether they develop in the next month or year. Uh, but right now I'm taking my time. And one of the things that I really highly recommend, <laughs> um, and I'm doing it right now, of course, therapy. Mm -hmm. I hire a life coach. You know, the more input, the more experiences you can gather from mentors, from experts, from coaches, 
therapists, the, the better it is, I think, the better it is for you to figure out what is it that you want to do. So right now, I'm in that particular moment. I, I, I was in my industry for 21 years. Mm-hmm. And finally, I had the courage to resign, resign <laughs> yeah. uh, about a month ago from the Dallas Mavericks. And I wanted to resign because I have never been retired. I mean, I, re- I retired as a basketball player, but then I went into working right away with so many responsibilities. I, I coach myself. Well, I coach a team. I went to coaching myself, of course. Mm-hmm. And I did it for three years, loved it. But I found myself that I was sacrificing the time with my kids once again. Mm-hmm. So then I migrated towards another position as an executive with the Dallas Mavericks. And the last six years I've been in that scenario, they were asking a little too much from me. They wanted me to travel too much. So he, I'm once again mm-hmm. sacrificing the time with my kids. And I have teenage boys at home that I think they need my attention mm-hmm. and some discipline and structure as well. So I, I have to resign and I literally did it la- uh, last month or a month ago, and I'm in that process where, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's plenty of options, but I, I, I'm trying to figure out, and I met with, with my life coach, and we talked about this. Uh, I told him, I said, listen, I mean, I'm a little lost right now. I just completely stopped what I love doing and what I've done yeah. for not, not 21 years, for since if you want to go all the way to high school, I mean, it's 30 years. So half of my life, actually half of my lifetime, <laughs> rather, mm-hmm. for 30 years in the basketball industry. And I literally just walked away a month ago and I'm like, okay, so what is next? And I'm scared for the first time in my life, <laughs> not knowing what to do. Uh, and obviously I, I need to find purpose I'm an expert in basketball, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I mean, right now, um, I have a basketball academy in Chihuahua that is in the works. I'm doing a uh, research. Uh, the governor of the state of Chihuahua asked me if I was interested. I said, of course. I mean, I, I, I would love to help you guys. I can get into the logistics, be more of a console, but I, and I can visit, of course, and, and, and talk to kids and coaches and try to motivate them, but I just can't do it full-time, of course. So that's on the works. Um, then we have this uh, project in Mexico City with a bas- pro basketball team that is affiliated to the NBA, so it's still basketball-related. I have the know-how on how to run a team, so they're flirting with me. And again, the same thing. They they want, they offer me a position as a president. I said, I've oh, you know, mm-hmm. they're Mexico City, so I would have to move to Mexico City. Oh, wow. My kids are in Dallas. Uh, you know, once again, I need my flexibility. I need my time with my kids. And that's where my life coach come in place. And he's doing a good job of asking me questions and mm-hmm. how to uh, sort of create some structure where it's, it's beneficial for me. I find the purpose, but I also do not sacrifice the time with my kids because they're going to be in college. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. they'll be going a few years and 
I would not get these years back. I mean, I already kind of saw with my my oldest daughter. She's in college. And I did get to spend the last three years uh, with her at all time. But, you know, I wish I had more time with her. Mm-hmm. Now she's gone and she only comes and visits once in a while. <laughs> And, uh, and, and I don't like it. I, I miss my, my baby. Um, so, yeah. So I want to make sure that I spend as much time with the boys, especially right now. Uh, you know, Lalo was my son, 16 year old, got caught with weed in the car. Um, uh, it wasn't my weed, <laughs> but I was really upset. I was like, what is going on? Like, and, you know, and I knew it because, I didn't have any gas in my car and I grabbed his key and I said, I'm going to a dinner. I'll be right back. I was running late. And he followed me like running, like, Uh-oh. no, dad, don't take my car. Suspicious. And I was like, what's going on over here? <laughs> so I went into the car. The car was a mess, dirt everywhere <laughs> and smelled like pure grass. And I know it wasn't, he wasn't uh, mowing the lawn. Yeah, right. <laughs> So I was really upset and I said, I'll deal with you when I come home. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to my event and uh, that particular moment also kind of got me to believe I need to be home yeah. more often. Your I presence. need to, yeah, yeah, because kids are going to be kids and teenagers, they're going to hide and I can't control everything, but I can certainly educate them and teach them to do the right thing at all times. So hopefully they follow that. Uh, so when they go on the out to the real world, they, they're not acting crazy or worse. They don't hurt somebody or themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's where I am right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So hopefully I, I figure it out and I'm kind of in this conundrum where I'm pulling, I'm being pulled all over the place. <laughs> and at the same time, um, uh, the one thing that I've done very good is that I continue taking care of my body. Mm-hmm. I, my health is a priority. So that's the one thing that I do every single day because I need to make sure that I'm healthy so I can have all these options. And it's okay to have a, a bit of a mess with my life right now. I'm actually afraid, but I'm also excited because yeah. I'm, first time I, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and it's great that you're taking care of your body because it's all connected. You know, the body, the mind, you have to take care of your, your body to take care of the the spirit and the emotions. So I'm happy for you. And I'm, I'm happy that you're scared as well, because perhaps it's <laughs> perhaps you're on the cusp of the next awakening. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yes. But I know, you know, we've, we've talked for a long time today, so I want to let you go and Thank you for sharing so much about your journey, your story, so many insights that I'm sure are going to inspire so many people and anyone listening to this, this podcast today. You're truly an inspiration and a positive influence on the world. And I'm really excited to see what you do next, both on this planet, in your own life, and perhaps in the, the cusp of your next awakening. So thank you so much for, for your no, time. Thank you, Christina. It means a lot. Thank you. It's always great seeing you. Good luck with with your endeavors, and I'm proud of you as well. You've done incredible, and and I'm glad that we got to talk because we, you're right, we haven't talked for quite some time, and now you're on the East Coast. Yeah, <laughs> you need to come and visit us. Come back in to Dallas. Dallas. And so, where can uh, people find you? 
if they want to see more more Eduardo. Social media is is not my forte, but I I, I do believe it's a necessity. Yes. <laughs> And that's kind of like the best way to connect with, with people. You know, I, I've connected with even uh, friends that I went to elementary with in Mexico, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, so social media uh, on my Instagram or um, obviously uh, Facebook. Your, Facebook is limited. Your so Instagram, probably Instagram is, is about the only one. Is Eddie Najera 14, right? It's actually Eduardo.Najera14. Oh. Okay. Yes. So... Slide into his DMs. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Make sure that make sure that everybody says, "Hey, you know, I heard the podcast with Bilora and Christina Almeida." And yes. I want to reach out. Yes. Uh, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to let you go and say hi to the fam. Say hi to everyone, and um, have a beautiful day. Thanks for for chatting too, with me today. Christina. Thank you. Have a good day. I'm Christina Ray, and you've been listening to the Power for Good podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join me next week for another powerful conversation. Share a story of how you are using your power for good by sending me a DM on my Instagram, at Christina Ray Almeida. I'll be sharing your stories at the end of every episode weekly. If you're interested in learning more on how we can work together, Head to my website, IamChristinaRay.com, and let's connect. Sending you so much love, and remember, you are powerful. <laughs>